This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. Welcome to Changemaker EDU, a podcast that inspires powerful individual and collective transformation by sharing leadership, personal development, and education change-making ideas and stories to ignite people like you to create the change deep within your soul, embody your calling, and bring your dreams to life. I'm your host, David K. Richards, and I share wisdom from my 25 plus years as an education innovator, school founder and CEO, mindset teacher and leadership coach, but also interviewing other diverse paradigm shifters. Join me in our grassroots movement to create lasting impact, one education change maker at a time. Hey everyone, I want to jump on before you get into the podcast episode today and share that I'm launching the Wise Warrior Mastermind, which I'm really excited about because you know when something comes through me, it comes through with full energy and love. And I really wanted to convene a group, a small group of about five people where we can really go deep and create a safe container, a safe environment, a place where you can just be free, let yourself be you. You don't have to worry about bringing any baggage into the group. And we can really focus on these mindset teachings that I have embodied and learned and mastered over the last several years. And I can share them with you and we can work on them together and we can support each other and create some lasting impact and change in your life. So we can focus on how to lead with love, how to live and flow, how to master your thoughts and what belief systems you have and so many other things that we're going to work on together. So if you're interested, please reach out to me at david at davidkrichards.com or you can go to the website davidkrichards.com slash program slash mindset. We're going to get better together. We're going to learn. We're going to grow. And it's going to be a, a small number of us. So if you're interested, please reach out as soon as possible because we don't have that many spaces. All right. Enjoy today's episode. Thanks. Okay. As always, Serge and I just had a great conversation. I love coming on for the intro for you guys so that you can hear a little bit about what we talked about. So I always like to ask my guest, Serge, you'll be excited to hear from him in a minute. What do you think are some of the key takeaways from our conversation? I think the first takeaway was really about new goals in education and how to not optimize just for grades, but reimagining, you know, whatever outcomes do we think we need to promote um, in education so that we have flourishing humans, right? We discuss a little bit about is that agency and is that happiness? Is that civic outcomes? Is that like community well-being, mental health? Like how do we assess and measure that? How do we fund that? Because um, we want some thriving humans. That was insight number one. Um, I think another cool part of the conversation was really around the sort of 
different ways that people can innovate in the system. Um, I think at every level, there's different leverage points that even you as an educator on the ground can, you know, uh, break out, try some different things. Um, if you're a policy maker, then there's other levers you can pull. But really, um, the core of it is about changing fundamental units of the system and watching yes. that cascade upwards because policy change downwards doesn't always work. Um, and there's many more creative ways that you can get involved with systems change, no matter what level you're playing at. Yeah. Um, the third insight was really around this idea of super history, not super intelligence as a frame for thinking about how AI is interacting with the minds of everyone, actually, um, yeah. not just young people, but um, this concept of us swimming in and being augmented by um, super history and turning everyone into this idea of centaurs. These are sort of um, machine, um, humans enhanced, human intuition enhanced with machine memory speeds and storage um, where this is going to produce a very new breed of young person who has all the information they want at their fingertips, can see forward and backwards into time, can create things by saying, willing them into their existence with their voice. This is very different to, um, you know, the humans who were just using Google search and swimming in super history then, and let alone people who only live by books. So those are the three yes. big topics we covered. Thank you so much, Serge. Yeah. And I really enjoyed the conversation because I, I wanted Serge to come on because he really is outside of the box and thinking about things in such a different way. So we talked about how he's organizing, you know, options for teachers to buy tokens and do different things in order to kind of decentralize and give incentives for teachers and using hybrid like online and in-person and just all these really cool things. Like you just heard him talk about AI and the way he thinks about things from a systems perspective and design principles. So you're going to get a lot of interesting theories, ideas, and then Surge is also really good at bringing it right back onto the ground for practical, here's what we're doing at City as a school, here's what you can do in your school, your classroom, here's how you can help. So it's going to be a nice dance between the theory and the practice, and I think you guys will love it. Thanks again, Serge. Hello and welcome. Super excited today to be with Serge Hunt. Serge, how are you? Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on, David. You're welcome. I love how the universe just kind of works in mysterious ways because Serge and I were not connected because of our educational expertise and interests and ideas, but because he was helping me do a rebrand and he happened to end up on the Zoom one day and he's super cool. And now we're gathering back together again. So Serge, I would love to start with hearing a little bit about you and what you're up to and kind of launching the conversation from there. Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm Serge. I'm here based in uh, London, UK. This is home, but uh, I grew up around Bristol in England, Southwest England, um, more from a creative background. I always wanted to build technology to help people be creative um, gloves that manipulate sound, geodomes full of plants that sing when you touch them. Um, I really wanted like new interfaces in the world. Yeah. Like, I was tired of mouse and keyboard and that was really frustrating. Um, makes me sound like a bit of a nerd, but like I was really bad at programming um, and also a B-grade student. But um, yeah, very excited. I, I basically am exploring these big three questions. Uh, what is a human? What promotes its flourishing? And how do I raise my kids? And this kind of leads me into all sorts of realms. Mm. Um, education, economics, um, and most recently, I'm starting a startup called City as a School. Um, it's basically a platform for turning cities into learning ecosystems. It's a really geeky way of saying um, we have a marketplace of classes that are in person and online. You book them to make a custom learning schedule. You build a portfolio, and then that portfolio gets you into jobs. Um, 
And then recently we've been building stuff with AI um, to create custom learning pathways for young people who put in a job description. The AI turns that job description into a custom learning pathway full of like digitally produced content, but also like humans and mentors that can help you get to that job. And uh, yeah, happy to dive into all of that in the podcast. Oh my gosh, a wait. little bit about me. <laughs> I told Sir before we hit record that I just can't wait because I, I haven't talked to him for a few years and I've been checking out his website and I'm like, I just can't wait. Okay, so walk me through... My son is almost 13. Walk me through the experience for my son. And could he do it being in the United States and not in the UK? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. So I think there's like two main things to, to separate out here. Um, mm-hmm. we, for the last year, we've been working on City as a School. Um, and that's a that platform for learning ecosystems. And that generally has this co- connotation of like geographically constrained, which is which is true um, for some part, but there are also online classes. So your son could find an online class similar to OutSchool. Mm-hmm. Um, many people ask like how we're different to OutSchool. I think the main difference is that we have a career focus. We're sort of about producing a portfolio of work, um, publishing a lot and, you know, demonstrating skills. Um, so your 13-year-old could book classes right away um, if they went to learn.cityasaschool.com. Or, um, you know, what would be like a child. class? What would be a sorry, in reference, yeah. what would be a class that would, he could book just out of curiosity? Sure. So we've been focusing mostly on like high growth industries. These are like software, game development, UI, UX, anything that you can um, basically build a career in by having a portfolio, photography, okay. videography. Ah, okay. Um, you know, um, build a business, sell, sell online products, these kinds of things, become a YouTuber is a pretty hot one that, you know, oh, yeah. teenagers want to become. <laughs> so, um, that's a job title now. So, uh, yeah, um, those, those are the kinds of things we focused on. Um, okay. but as we approach, um, some other projects, we can get into this, like we're looking more at sort of advanced manufacturing, agriculture, you know, heavy, heavy industry stuff as well. But, um, we'll get into that, but the main focus has been portfolio careers. Okay. So fascinating because I have been talking a lot about as I'm engaging in building my high school, it's like, what do we really need in high schools? And this connection between the real world, the quote unquote, the real world, but you know, like skills they could actually use when they leave high school, which is a massive gap in the space in general. And the solutions I'm seeing are not that creative, you know, like re, I don't know what you call it in England, but we call it like career technical education here, meaning you're learning like on the job skills and that's cool. Mm. That's interesting. But I feel like that's also 10 years from now or even two years from now, are we going to have those jobs that mm. people are getting prepared for? Right. So I think that's really interesting the way you're looking at it. So they're basically building a portfolio. Now, are they doing like internships or apprenticeships while they're taking these courses? Right. So they could be. Um, we experimented early in the day um, with, uh, you know, creating a list of internships in between like partner organizations um, that's not necessarily our focus right now. Um, we've kind of moved to a micro internship model. Um, so this is coming up soon. Basically, we're taking a project um, or a set of projects. So let's say um, Epic Games, a game making company. Um, we would say, hey, can you give us like 10 projects that a young person could do? Um, and if they did three of these projects um, and submitted the work and you saw their portfolio in sort of a, a talent pool, um, would you consider them for a job? And so we're kind of approaching it from this angle of like a project-based talent marketplace. Um, there's that those kinds of projects, but you could also self-guide a project. You, you know, your child could say, 
I want to build a, you know, a Mario Kart game. I want to find a mentor on City as a School. I book that mentor and then I work with that mentor one-on-one or in a group session to build my game. But that doesn't have to be because the industry told you to build it just because they want to build that game, right? So more self-directed. Okay. I realized that I went like right to the how because I'm so fascinated about how you're doing it. But I want to actually take a step back. Sure. And because you mentioned this kind of in your intro, but tell us why City as a School you know, what's the, what's the reason behind it? What's your why? Yeah. So I really love this, um, this talk by, um, I think it's Brett Victor, um, who's a designer. Um, it's about inventing on principle or designing on principle. And, um, I, I really had to think about this a few times. I was doing this unconsciously, but now I've kind of better articulated it. Um, basically in this talk, um, invites you to think about, uh, what is it in the world what's some principle in the world that you see when it's violated, it really hurts you or like it, it irks you in some kind of way. Mm. Um, and wraps up this whole talk by saying something like, you know, if you're a, if you're a, um, you know, social reformer, you, you organize people, but as a technologist, you get to invent, mm-hmm. um, to make the change that you, that you want to see. Yeah. Um, and so I invent on this principle, which is basically to say, um, when I see, I've tried to help humans see their affordances with the world mm-hmm. and take advantage of them that promotes wisdom in a way that promotes wisdom. Mm-hmm. So an example of this not happening is a human who thinks their affordance with their social network is Instagram. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually Instagram, you know, <laughs> crushes them into weird little um, bubbles of right. biting and, you know, just body dysmorphia and insecurity um, this doesn't promote wisdom, and I don't, I don't, I fight against that principle, basically against the viola- violation of that principle. Yeah. The opposite of this is something like City as a School, where I like really want people to learn about their affordances with their city, and say I map to this very large organism called the City. There's there's loads of three D printers here. There's photo studios. There's all mm-hmm. these crazy things that I can use. Um, how do I take advantage of that so I can grow, become a better human, and develop wisdom? So that's kind of why I do it. Like I've seen the collapse of agency um, by working with, you know, uh, marginalized groups, um, getting them off of hard drugs by teaching them music production. That mm-hmm. that's something that really like light, light lighted me up was basically saying like, look, these kids are completely capable. Yeah, um, just need to give them the right environment, the right thing to be motivated for uh, by, and um, you know, you, you can you can build a flourishing human. Yeah. No, I resonate with that in working so many urban schools and seeing what is possible when you bring in the right environment and the right set of expectations and the right set of beliefs in the children and the kids and the community. And like you said, like asset mapping the community and thinking about like, what are all the things that are possible? And okay, so that's really cool. So then at the beginning, you also said you're working on three things. And can you say what those three things are again? Mm. Um I think it's it's mainly two things. There's many things I do. Is it two? But, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I could speak to two. Um, okay. One of them is City as a School, uh, the platform, yeah. um, where London has been the focus. Um, we're exploring New York, um, and we also have a big project pilot lined up with Ohio. I don't know if anyone knows um, the situation in Ohio, but it's um, a lot of the heavy industries are moving back to. Oh, yeah. um, Ohio, as the U.S. builds resilience, um, it's moving silicon chip manufacturing, car manufacturing, uh, a lot of software, um, servers and stuff. So AWS, Intel, Honda, all these folks. Oh, are wow. I did not know heavy, this. 
heavy plants back to Ohio. Okay. So there's a rapid change in like the skills landscape there. So um, that city is a school on the platform. Um, we're also working on this AI co-pilot, um, which is basically building pathways through um, to get you the quickest pathway from like A to B. Like let's say if I want to be an airplane engineer, like what is the quickest way to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I guess beyond that, the, if there is a third thing, it's really like, systems change work uh, in multiple countries. I think uh, there's generally folks that I coach, support, networks that I'm uh, convening to help them think about like, how do you reinvent the system in your country, in your context, based on what I'm learning in the US, based on what I'm learning in the UK. Um, There's conversations in South Africa, Australia, Taiwan. Um, So yeah, kind of connecting all these different geographies and trading insights really. Yeah, and I mentioned to you before we hit record that I really wanted to talk to people that are disrupting the operating system of school, meaning that the way we're doing school, the way we're setting it up, the way it's budgeted, the way people are paid, the way people are mm. in the building, the way people, all the things are kind of like, there's this way of doing it. And I see a lot of interesting people doing things around like, we're going to do more projects and we're going to have more internships okay. and really, you know, like cool ideas. But I feel like yeah. you're really taking it to another level. <laughs> and so, for example, tell me about... I'm trying to remember when I was perusing the website around the way ownership is distributed. There's mm-hmm. some sort of like distributed leadership or distributed ownership that I don't fully understand, but I'm sure people that are more in this world will understand. But I feel like that to me, intuitively, that's the future. And I've always felt mm-hmm. this kind of decentralized, but I've had this kind of like, I don't know what it looks like, but I have this intuitive feeling that they're, we're moving towards this more decentralized, demonetized, yeah. democratized world. And the old world is still operating in these 20th century paradigms. And so when I saw your website, I got really excited because I was like, I don't fully understand this, but I can tell you this <laughs> is what I feel. So I was like, sir, yeah, yeah. tell me what he's doing. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, this is, I, I love to explain this. I, I think, you know, there's many experiments we have to run to figure out what, what is exactly going to work and what's right. I think right. You know, this is one trailhead of things, right? Um, I don't think... Even now, I don't think this is the solution, but I'll, I'll kind of scope it for you. Um, okay. the, the very short version is, um, I spoke to a really cool fellow once and uh, his name is Sasha. And um, he said, you know, to change a complex system, you need to change the fundamental units that make that system and watch the changes cascade upwards. You don't mm-hmm. fix it by putting policy change downwards. Um, you can create a more enabling policy like helps things happen. And I think you need to do that medium, long term. Yeah. But short term, like try and change a fundamental unit. Like what is a teacher or like, where does learning happen? Is that at the school? You know, like attack a fundamental unit. And one of the fundamental units you can change is like, who is the owner of a business? Mm -hmm. Um, And so teachers have not been the owners of the businesses that they work in. They don't share in the Highly disempowered. Highly disempowered. Yeah. Um, And that's true, not just for schools, but it's also true for like platforms like OutSchool. Um, and I love OutSchool, like what OutSchool do, right? Like I think they've unlocked a, a huge piece of the of the conversation. Um, but, you know, even for these platforms, teachers are inventory, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they're th- something to have lots of and connect to other learners. In, and if there's not enough and supply and demand runs out, then, you, you know, all these kinds of things. Um, I, I'm trying to poke at another part of the conversation with the co-ownership part um, to say, to acknowledge something, which is, I don't know what the best way to launch a learning ecosystem is in a different geography, but we have this called technology, which would help you do it. Um, and you are probably way better suited at like leading change on the ground in a different country than I am, mm-hmm. but we want to reward you 
by sharing the upside as you go and do this. And you could say, oh, maybe you just like hire this person as like a, a general manager, give them some equity in the company or something. Right. But um, the experiment we're basically running here is, can you give teachers um, ownership in the com- company? Um, and we do this in a kind of web two way, if this is a term that listeners are thinking about, like web free is with all this crypto and wallets and mm-hmm. all this parallel infrastructure. Yeah. Um, we can actually pull off a lot of what we want in co-ownership with web two stuff. And the way we do that is through um, phantom shares. So phantom shares are basically um, a mechanism to say um, there is a set of the stock option pool, which is allowed to be given to teachers. And um, the the smart part of all of this, the like where it gets technical is um, we can take that percentage, percentage of the company, let's say it's like 10% will go to the teachers. Um, and we yeah. can subdivide it by a million parts as like techni- as digital currency, digital coins. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm gonna give you, we're going to give you the digital coins every time you do something that we think is positive on the network. Um, okay, now I understand what I was reading. Okay, yep, I'm right. following. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, and those, and those three things like will probably change, but I think right now they're like, teacher class is like one of them. Like we want you to teach classes. We want to like give you some more equity as you do this. And like, that's the smallest reward amount. Um, another one is like onboard more teachers, you know, so bring another teacher on board. Right, right. Um, and, you know, and there could be other ones um, later down the line, like uh, start a micro school or something. Yeah. And this is like 100 points rather than 10 points. Yeah. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's a way of like kind of giving the teachers upside in the thing as it grows. Okay, that's really cool. And I wanted to clarify what I meant when I said teachers are highly disempowered because I don't think as individual humans, they are disempowered. I think they're highly empowered and they create amazing learning and magic in their classrooms despite of the system, despite the system, mm-hmm. right? In spite of the system. So mm-hmm. I feel like what I want to clarify that comment because I want people to understand like they're disempowered by the system, but because humans sure. know how to empower themselves and not be victims, they rise above a system that's oppressive, right? And that's amazing. And I remember my first year teaching in an urban school and like I had, I was the first year teacher, so I had the worst classroom at the back of the school. And it was like the maintenance guy came in and said, are you actually teaching here? Because this is a portable from 1965. Like it's going to fall apart. And I'm like, I'm teaching here and we're going to yeah. learn. And like, I, that was my best year ever because I had so many yeah. obstacles, right? But so a lot of teachers can relate to that. And, but what I meant by highly disempowered is that the system treats them like a worker yes. in the factory, right? And so... They're not treated as like knowledge workers, like lawyers and doctors are treated kind of like as laborers in the system. And so we have mm-hmm. to overcome that as a, as a teacher, as a former teacher. I really love what you're doing. And one of my favorite books is Reinventing Organizations mm-hmm. and great book. the whole concept of self-management. And I know um, a lot of folks that are listening probably know about Acton Academy here in the U.S. And they're based on the self-management principles. And there's Morningstar Tomato just like 30 minutes from here of Northern California that also uses self-management anyway. So I feel like when I was reading your website, I was like, oh, this is really cool. This is what I feel like we need so many more people doing this. And then I love that you said experiment because that shows you're an innovator and you understand that you're not just going to write it down and it's going to work. <laughs> you're going to test it and try <laughs> it and follow the data and follow the humans and continue to iterate and try and figure out what works best. And I think that's really exciting too. Mm, yeah, it, it's uh, one in a, in a suite of, of things, which I think... Yeah, people need to be trying more of. Um, so yeah, if you want to talk about co-ownership of your school or your homeschool network, I guess, you know, co-ops are kind of an early precursor of this. So um, yeah. yeah, happy happy to talk. I think this is one of the many experiments that should be run more. 
Yeah. And that's why I love um, that's another piece of what you're doing. Okay. So I also really like this idea of creating an in-person opportunity and a online opportunity. So in the space yep. over the years, one of the things that I used to always say is, well, you know, the online, the studies on online learning show that it's crap. It's crap. Now, <laughs> that's true with when you have a person on a computer and a teacher across from you giving a lecture and there's no follow-up, there's no relationship, like all the things, right? All the factors, like, of course it's terrible. Like yeah. that's not even good teaching in an in-person, right? <laughs> so, um, but over the years I've softened on that and been like, okay, there, there's gotta be ways to really have like robust online learning. And I think with, with the pandemic and parents seeing that schools were doing, like my kids are doing zoom for an hour teacher talking at them and then doing worksheets by themselves for five hours. Right. Like, so we yeah. kind of saw, so that just fed the like narrative of like online learning is terrible. But right. my hope and dream is that we can really leverage the best versions of online learning. And like my son being able to take a course from, you know, cities of school here in the U S and thinking about how we create communities because learning is a social sport. And there is as a, you know, somebody who's more traditional in this way, like I really do believe like in-person is really important. So I'm curious what yeah. you think about all that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think, uh, let's start with the online piece and then like zoom into what sort of our thesis is and what we're seeing working with yeah. new formats of in-person and hybrid. I think, cool. you know, hybrid is, uh, I'll frame it with saying that like some form of hybrid is, you know, the next thing we want. And then there's another interesting part here of, well, not just hybrid human to human interaction, but hybrid human and AI interaction. That's kind of another big part of this Ooh. conversation, which is, um, which is coming up. Yeah. Um, really good fun. So um, online learning is cool for the mention that you, the reasons that you mentioned, which is like, okay, I can have the best teachers in the world from yep. wherever I am, right? Um, people I could never access before are just like a couple clicks away. Great. Let's have more of that. Um, yeah. They become a bit crap at, oh, my last use <laughs> bad. Like we're starting to become a bit rubbish <laughs> um, after sort of seven plus people in the room and, you know, diverging goals and diverging values, right? So as right. long as... It's a small group and they, they, they all have the same goals and this can be really impactful. And also just for like exposure, right? Like online learning is really great because if I'm in a discord of like 20,000 other young kids and I see what they're working on, this is really inspirational. You know, I can mm -hmm. see a network of people around the world. I feel part of this global organism um, called humanity yeah. and um, that's really good fun. So more of that. And then in person, right? So what do I think about what's coming up? Um, I think there's two things going on here. I really, I'm really trying to like pull back to Montessori and then figure out like what would Montessori want to have seen happen in like teenage years. I don't. I'm not an expert in you know early early years development. Yeah, but I can think through how teenagers are operating. I've coached mainly teenagers, um, and taught at that level, and just think the big concept that Montessori is really thinking about is normalization or like getting young people engaged in culture and to learn in culture. And I think the missing piece in a lot of this online or with humans is this idea of authorship and of the mm -hmm. ability to write your story into the, the world around you. Yes. Um, this is what's missing. Like, forget that you're learning maths, forget that you're learning geography. You could learn all the geography and maths in the same standardized format. So long as you were kind of like putting your identity through this thing and saying, yes. this is me, this is what I think about it. This is how I'm going to tell you that I 
like it or don't like it. Um, and this would be a, just already a significant change um, in self-confidence, agency, self-efficacy, all these things. So um, authorship is really important, regardless of whether or not it's publishing on a Twitter thread, a Substack, making a YouTube channel, um, or just like hanging out with a group of four people regularly in a coaching group. Um, whatever you pick, like just self-author yourself. Um, but I don't think it's just about writing words and like recording content. It's primary. It's also got a lot to do with understanding design and the design of things and the ability to manipulate culture, the ability to, to design culture, to like, um, not just say like, here's how the economy works, but make a micro economy, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and say like, cool, we like, we made a token system and like, we traded the coins around and like, oh, but then my team member didn't like that. So we, you know, we decided to inflate the currency and add 20 more billion to the supply and, you know, learn through designing and and tweaking as if you were um, building your own world, self-authoring in a way. So I'm really pro that. And so then how do you structure work and give liberty to young people to go and do this. Yeah. Um, what we're focusing on right now with Ohio is um, adding, and England, I believe, either in addition to school or as a full separation from school, um, mm-hmm. in the teenage years at least, um, we'll see a lot more, um, we're calling them home bases. It's like okay. a, a home base is basically like a safe place Mm-hmm. The young people can come to more like some slash between a community center, co-working space, a yep. museum, a library. Um, but yeah, like the, this space should kind of reflect in, in a similar way that like Montessori said, scale down the kitchen mm-hmm. and the house, yeah. scale down the office, like scale down the office to be like really friendly for um, kids it shouldn't be rows of desks because nobody office, nobody's office is really like that. Like, exactly. Um, <laughs> Some of them are surprisingly, I backtrack back on that. Some people are putting you in a box, but you know, that's if you work in banking. Um, so, I did so, for a long time. Yeah, so I know. You, you know, there's office education. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, some scaled down version of the office is, is, is really necessary. And I, I, you know, I really encourage like homeschool teenagers just to like get a WeWork membership, like mm-hmm. go, go show up in WeWork, be around a bunch of competent adults, um, have projects that you care about that you're authoring and feel like you're pressing into the world and it's responding and hitting you back. Yeah. Um, so those are the kind of principles, I guess. And then like yeah. how we facilitate that is like a technological question or like yeah. a, or a social process, like, right. you know, which teacher do we use? How do we train them? Um, but that's the core, that's the core of it, I think. Yeah. I'd love that. I love that for like a working framework and, and following the principles and, I got like really excited when you're talking. So I know that there's a lot <laughs> like, I'm so excited about what he's saying, but I feel like, I remember hearing that is that Howard Schultz, a Starbucks founder, had figured out that there's like the third place. I guess there's a book called like the third place or the third something. And the idea was like people used to spend their time in work, church, and school. Uh-huh. And as churches started going away, right. it was like work and school, and the third place was losing. So Starbucks was built around the idea of community, right? Like, mm-hmm. and we were kind of also realized this, right? Like it's all yeah. about community. This is what people are craving and desiring and we're all looking, you know, there's a loneliness epidemic. People are looking for a community. And so I love that answer around, you know, what you're, what you're doing, whether it's an in-person or a virtual or hybrid, you're focusing on, at least is how I'm interpreting it. It's like, yeah. you know, really focusing on 
community. And if you think about some of, you know, if you ask people like, what was your best experience as a youth? They'll usually yeah. say like, oh, my basketball team or my soccer mm. team or football, mm. as you would say, right? Like my right. team, my <laughs> team experience or like my job, like where they were part of a community or like the after school center I went to or whatever, right? It's like, that's yeah. where they built their confidence and where they learned and, mm-hmm. or it's like some program within their school. Like, oh, when I was in the drama club, yes. you know, like something that really gave them a place to be seen and heard. And also like, to your point of, of being an agent or having agency, and that's so missing in schools in general, right? Because of the whole kind of we're empty vessels, we're pouring it into them and they're just sitting there and passively receiving yeah. information. Right? And I love that you brought up Montessori because I'm a big Montessori fan. And I feel like that's where, you know, you understand the nature of community and you understand how the individual and the community work together. So you you create environments where the individual has agency, authorship, and you also create a collective community where people come together and rise together. So this actually is an, I have another question around, Oh, before Mm -hmm. I forget, one of my people I just interviewed was Modulo, which is a modular learning company. I don't know if you've heard of them, but you can, if you're homeschooling, you can go and find different things. And so, but she told me about Moonrise, which is, I love Moonrise. Chris is great. You've heard of it. Okay. So so I just wanted to share that with the listeners. I was like pulling out my notes. I'm like, what was it called? Moonrise. But that was an interesting concept around, because, you know, we're talking about kids that want community. And if, in fact, a lot of times kids have more access to community than adults, right? But it's the adults in the co-working space that are also really craving the community. So putting them together seems seems really yeah. cool. But I wanted to ask, is City as a School more of like a supplement to school? Or is it is the hope that it's going to like replace school? Yeah. Um, there's two parts to, I guess, like one, it depends on like who's attending, like who who's the learner mm-hmm. and the family and the context. Mm-hmm. Um, and then B, it depends on what geography. Um, I, most of the conversation right now is that we are, um, we are after school for the groups that school works for, and we can be a full replacement for the groups who school is just not the place they want to be. Right. Like if you're homeschooling or you're not homeschooling or you just like, we don't believe that school will get you the outcomes in life that you want. It's like marginalized groups who just like drop out and go, well, I need a job. Right. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, I think those are two two different sort of angles, but I and and mostly, um, you know, we're piloting mainly with these uh, sort of th- these these groups who don't see school as as a helpful thing, um, and demonstrating results there. Yeah, and um, you know, demonstrating results to further the conversation about like how effective we can be for the after school programs, and then as we become even better as an after after school like um, supplementary thing. Yeah. Um, the real unlock is how do you get public funding to fund these learning ecosystems and have them be a part of the education infrastructure? Because at least that's part of the thesis here is that there needs to be more publicly funded in- infrastructure that's not just schools to actually allow for a thriving human. Right, right. And we had kind of touched on this before hit record around this idea that a lot of innovation will happen from a more of a fringe. And so as you're talking about having public funding going towards these types of things. It's like people like you have to prove that it works. Right. And because people are going to be skeptical and they're kind of in their box, they're in their paradigm and they just don't know any differently. Right. And so you have to show them, this is what I love about uh, why I want to do this podcast. Why I was excited about it is like, I want to show people that there's a lot of different ways that your limited mind, no judgment just doesn't know. And so let's expose you to 
all these different environments and ideas and start to make it more mainstream or more understandable so that funders and policymakers and people's kids, you know, people's kids are going to start attending and doing these types of things and being like, wait, wait, what's happening? Like, I'm very powerful Mm -hmm. and influential as a lawmaker or as a funder or a entrepreneur. And like, why is, why isn't my kid getting this experience? And you start to see the the ripples happen and, and it happens from the grassroots. It happens from people that are doing different things. And so I'm excited to see how you can, I mean, you already have proved it, but continue to prove that this is working and that there's just just really different ways to do this. And I think starting with the unit of like after school or homeschool is also really smart because then you're going to have like a nice little subset of, you know, a, a sample that you can say like, look, this, this works. And we, yeah. you always have your early adopters. So it's like, here's, here's the early adopters. And now we just gotta, I always love when I open my schools because the first year is like, whatever, you don't have a building. Sure. Like I, I I'll <laughs> jump in. Like, where do yeah. I sign the application? And like, you just find yeah. these people that are really like, they believe in the vision and they want to see change. And so they're willing to jump in and literally put their precious, most precious asset in a school that hasn't been proven yet. And there's like a, there's an ethos with that community. And yeah. literally by year three, four, five, six, seven, eight, then it becomes more of an entitlement. Like, well, this is a great school. There's a waiting list of 400 kids. So like, yeah. why am I not in it? And then it becomes like, I'm going to sit back and receive this because it's a great school instead of like, oh, I'm going to build this with you. And I'm willing for it to be like really dirty and messy. So I feel like you're in that stage of the early adopters. Am I right about that? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's still so, you know, the, the, the conversation on learning ecosystems is a, is decades old, like, but it's, it's only really recently that we've been in a position technologically to, to pull it off. And I think not just technologically, but like environmentally, like the right. pressure is on from the workforce side, just like kids are not prepared for the workforce. Like, they're coming out more and more unprepared year by year, right? With especially with AI. Um, And so like, we're just in a very, we're in the right time to like have a conversation about different things. Um, And yeah, it's it's still very uh, early days. I think, um, you know, it's a still underfunded space. Um, It's not VC backable, this and that. It's, you know, Mm. uh, philanthropic groups, um, you know, uh, philanthropy, impact investment, grants from various family funds, you know, all these kinds of things that are just getting the ball rolling and there's a massive talent shortage there as well. So, um, yeah, lo- lots to do. And, um, when you were speaking about, I just want to mark like change, um, and becoming an after school or a supplementary thing. Um, there's plenty of people doing great supplementary stuff and after school stuff, um, yeah. that doesn't intend to be publicly funded. Right. Um, I think the main distinction here is like what are the new goals of education and what are the goals that schools aren't designed to deliver on right and what do you want those to be and then like how would we measure assess and then fund those things so uh that's really what i'm trying to bring more people into the space of thinking about is like well what about like vocational outcomes and workforce advancement what about like mental health like what about civic outcomes how do i know that my like neighborhood is progressing how do i know that like crime is down how do i know that garbage is like trash is less of a thing um happiness um, god forbid uh, happiness um you know so um you know if you can imagine a new form of of measurement yeah um, this is where the pressure needs to be applied like too much innovation is being eaten up by trying to just keep grades going yes um, which is fine like if that's what you want to do but it um, you know, I think we can look at the numbers soon and see that, you know, 
teachers are leaving, students are leaving. Um, we need some something more. We need to think to different goals and different metrics, right? Absolutely. And I, you know, one of my board members would always, he's very entrepreneurial and he would always get so irritated at everybody because he's like, you guys, stop talking about the test scores. And he's like, look, I know the funders are making you measure these things, but he's like, look, if you really want to fundamentally change the way we're doing school, you have to fundamentally change what you're measuring. And so, and I'm like, gosh, that would be, I'm like, Jeff, you're right. And we're publicly funded. And these bureaucrats are like up my, you know, like, really like Mm -hmm. they're not going to, they're not going to let me stay open if I don't show them some semblance of like test scores. And so that's a dilemma we've been wrestling with, with my school, but in general, I think it's really smart. And, you know, I just had a conversation with my daughter this morning. She always gets like, okay, this is a perfect example. She takes a spelling test. Every, mm-hmm. She's in fourth grade, 10 years old. Yeah. Everyone takes the same spelling test. My wife and I are like super spellers. No, doesn't mean you're smart. I always tell my students that. We're just really good at memorizing words and spelling, right? Yeah. My whole family's dyslexic. I got lucky in that way and I'm a good speller, whatever. The point is, she's a good speller. She has gotten 100% of every single spelling test. And she is like, and I asked her, do you think you could have like maybe a different list of words than everyone else? Because obviously you already know all these words. And she's like, no, that's not how it works. But she gets hundred percent. And I'm like debating whether I'm going to talk to the teacher because I don't know if it's worth my time. But she did an oral presentation. She's very shy. She got a 78%. She's devastating. Right. I can't believe I got a 78%. So just this morning, I was like, listen to me. You're a really good basketball player, right? You don't get a grade when you play basketball. You didn't know how to do X, Y, Z. You know, you couldn't shoot a three-pointer six months ago. So you just worked on getting, on shooting a three-pointer. Like, because we're tying tying a grade to this and giving you a value of worthiness based on another person, and you're giving your power away to this teacher and saying whether I'm good at something and whether it even matters, you're actually saying that. So she's like, I have to get 100% on my oral presentation. (laughs) I'm like... She's already in the system of like external validation and grades and all of that. So I feel like right. if we could start to, because whatever you measure is what you value. So if you start to, mm. we could start to create different outcomes, like you said, around happiness and whatever else we decide and start to measure those outcomes. And then you move the funders, you move the policymakers, and you start to show them that these outcomes, because they believe in the outcomes, they just don't know that these outcomes could actually produce results that really work, right? Yeah, that, that, that's exactly it. I'd say that's just like one leverage point in the whole of it, right? There's, there's a really great book that I'd, I'd suggest called um, Leverage Points by Danella Meadows. She's a, a leading systems thinker. Okay. Um, it's like a 16-page document. Um, oh, cool. I said it's a book. Um, but I'm, I've got it up here on the left. So it says, places to intervene in a system in increasing order of effectiveness. Starts from 12, goes to 1. And number 5 is the rules of the system, mm-hmm. such as the incentives, punishments, and constraints. Yeah. So that's still not like the highest leverage point you have. Uh, even further up the the list, um, mm-hmm. Danella would list the power to add, change, evolve, or self-organize system structures is a better leverage point. Mm. Um, I think you're kind of seeing this a little bit with like micro schools. They yeah. can kind of just do what they want or charter schools. They can kind of just like yeah. go do innovation, right? Um, we used to, I always say we used to be able to, we were like micro schools 30 years ago. I was like, oh, so mm-hmm. you can do innovation, do what you want. And then obviously with, you know, like, LA Unified Los Angeles, you know, we got 30% of the market share. Whoa, it got bad. So now it's like, yeah, it's like, don't do anything anyway. So yeah, I feel like you're right. Microschools is kind of like that example like number, now. Because you know, every time I read an article about microschools, they always, the, the two sides, it's always like, but they're unregulated and they get somebody that got some sort of <laughs> title to say, this is damaging to children because they're not following the regulations that are set forth and this and that. And so yeah, I yeah. agree. 
So yeah, my micro schools would be like a, a or opening up innovation, like giving them power to add change, evolve, or self-organize is number four. Mm-hmm. Um, number three is the goals of the system. This is kind of what we've just been talking about. Yeah. Like what is the goal of education is a big question. Um, is it really just like AP tests and grades? Um, right. The second is then, second best leverage point is the mindsets or the paradigm out of which the system, it, its goals, structures, rules, delays, parameters arise. So this is like mindset change. Mm-hmm. Um I guess you get like thought leaders, you know, trying to influence this. Yeah. Um, so that's another leverage point, but tough stuff. And then number one is the power to transcend all those paradigms altogether. Um, so it's a kind of like not knowing a beginner's mindset. Yep. Um, you know, you, you know, you you pray that everyone in, in the in the space is willing to throw off their assumptions of like what they think is right and you know, <laughs> move between paradigms, but uh yeah, so these are the highest five leverage points um, that Donella Meadows shares. So pick one and uh, work on it for some of your life and we can make some change. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And that resonates so powerfully. And I feel like throughout my career of trying to create, I always say I disrupt with love, like just disrupting in a really kind and caring way. Yeah. And I feel like those kindness. principles, those five, it's like I've been dancing around with that. And I'm going to definitely check that out and get that and look at it more closely. And my really good yeah. friend's a designer, and he's always talking to me about these different principles and systems. And so mm-hmm. I love this framework because I don't hear it as much in the education space. And all right. So I feel like there's so many more things I want to ask you, but just in the interest of time, <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. wrap it up. And what, okay, what are, what's anything that, well, we didn't get to talk about AI, but what are anything, anything else maybe we didn't talk about that you wanted to share either about cities of school or what you're up to, just to make sure we don't miss anything. Um, I, I, I'd like to touch on AI very briefly. And it's, I think yeah. it's connected to cities of school. Um, you know, maybe I'll start with the, the AI piece. Um, so I think the big implication of AI in education, which people have not, educators mainly have not cognized. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of the like the software developers get this, but um, there's a... I really I'm trying to get educators to think about this distinction of us interacting with super history, not super intelligence. So we tend to frame AI as like this super intelligence. Actually, if you use a lot of the AI tools right now, they're really dumb. Um, they're intelligent in like a very narrow way, Got it. Um, but they you know do dumb things unless they're guided by human intuition and right. these kinds of things. And that might change in the next five years, but. Okay, yeah. like let's reframe to super history. So these things have seen in the, the when I say these things, these models have processed an unfathomable amount of data in a very short amount of time. Um, if you think about just the data that a human has to deal with, like every color you see, every thought you have, every air you breathe, all the sensations you have in your body, cumulatively, you've lived a dot in the in the in the sea of data that like Absolutely. some of these machines have like one human lifetime is a blip. Yeah. Um, pyramids of Giza are like a, like a small ripple. And then, you know, um, the whole of human existence on earth is, you know, even shorter. So these things are super history. Now you're attaching a human brain to super history, right? Mm. A, a, a young person, not even a young person, you, a Google a user of Google mm-hmm. has been using super history. You've been interacting with super ever since you've had Google in your hands. Every day you use Google, every year you use Google might actually be like five years of attaching this data age onto you. Um, Okay, so people have like a biological age, but we might be having these data ages, right? You've seen 
a computer enriched version of the world because you've you've been enriched with this like you can see the furthest back in time than any human has ever seen you can see the yeah. furthest forward in time that many humans can see with predictive modeling um now you're giving kids ai yes <laughs> okay so so basically we're having um the phrase i like to use here is that everyone's becoming a centaur a centaur is um a term used in ai and machine learning um for mainly used in these like centaur teams like chess players so central teams are basically human teams that use AI tools or work with machines. There's a mix of machine and human. And these teams, central teams, beat um, the purely AI teams or the purely um, human teams. Yeah. They outperform them at chess. So mm-hmm. um, the implication for this is, is huge for education, basically because um, you are getting a new breed of young people who are working in collaboration with these tools yeah in a date in a super history enriched way they have access to every piece of information at the click of a thing their fingers yeah um and education just hasn't caught up to this this context um so um the implication for this is finally that the human to human transmission of knowledge like your grandfather's grandfather, no, your teacher's teacher yeah. distorted information through their bias to their teacher who gave yeah. them biases, who gave you biases. Maybe you actually hate history because your history teacher told you that you were bad at it, you know. So forget that bias is bad in AI. It's, it is bad, but like yeah. it's also bad between humans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, right. So if you're just the unlucky kid who got the teacher who hates like insects and you're like, wow, look at this beautiful butterfly. And they're like, no, you don't need to learn about butterflies because that's not on the test, you idiot. Then you're, you're getting a biased um, interaction with human knowledge. Right. Um, you're now getting a much more, the, the, the line between mundanely living and profoundly learning is collapsing. Every mm. minute is profoundly learning in the, in, a, in an age where you have Google and ChatGPT at your fingertips. So um, human trans, human to human transmission is disrupted. Super history to human transmission is speeding up. Um, and so we need new institutions for this. Uh, I don't think schools will cut it. Right. Okay, yeah, that was good. So I'm, really glad you, I'm glad you brought that up because I I want to talk about that more. We need to talk about it. And I, I have so many more questions about that. But I will... <laughs> keep talking and asking people and I'm so fascinated about it by, by it. So, okay. And well, you do have an AI co-pilot. Is that one of your programs yes. or what is that? Tell uh, us about that. Sure. So um, to cope with that, um, we've built an AI co-pilot at City as a School. Um, if you want to go play with it, it's available at um, arc.cityasaschool.com. So the co-pilot's called arc.cityasaschool.com. Okay. Basically, this AI co-pilot is creating an interface to this collective human knowledge in a way that supports learner goals. So we can create custom learning pathways. If you input a job description, it will read all the words off of that and go like, here's all the skills and the concepts you need to know to get this job to be a software developer at Google. So we're starting with a goal in mind, right? Like, what do you want to become? Like, I've been backwards engineering that. Yeah. Um, That's the explore side. So there's all these features for exploring, but learning is not just an explore problem and it's an exploit problem it's a build problem so once i have this information i need to go make something and so arc as an ai copilot helps you build your portfolio um, by basically dropping the cost of project-based learning so that it's as simple as saying i want to build this 
Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Here's, all, here's nine steps to go and do this. So project-based okay. learning isn't something you have to teach teachers. It's something right. that you just have to have competent adults around to make sure yeah. that's, that kid knows how to like watch the YouTube video and then right. plug in the, the, the blender to make this movie, um, yeah. hopefully. Um, but you just want inspiring teachers around and the AI should be able to facilitate project-based learning. So that's that's where we're at with the co-pilot. Um, and uh, yeah, you'll if you want to um, pilot it at your school, we're looking for pilot schools. We're working with Brave Generation Academy, School of Humanity and some other innovative schools. Um, okay. I'd love to chat about that if that feels meaningful. Okay, that's really cool. And then one one last question that I forgot to ask mm -hmm. that I think people might be wondering is how accessible... So you said, you know, the goal obviously is to have programs like yours get public funding and, you know, mm. be accessible to everyone. But in the meantime, how accessible is this? Like, you know, what what are the costs for somebody mm. taking classes or working with City as a school? Yeah, so um, ARC, the co-pilot, is free to use. It will be free to use for a very long time. Okay. Um, the way we're doing that is that you basically, like, have a 100 different commands that you can do a month. Mm -hmm. And if you run out of commands because you use it so much, like mm -hmm. a command might be build me a pathway to this job description or create a project for me. Um, that would be two tasks, right? So okay. we're playing with this model basically. After that yeah. amount of tasks, you'll buy like a package of tokens and top up. So okay. that'd be fairly accessible. Um, the classes um, sort of average out at sort of $16 um, per session for like a 45 minute to an hour session. And you might buy sort of a series of four of those. So, you know, looking at 64 for like four sessions or something. Yeah. Could, but it varies, right? Like if you want a mentor who's charging a lot for their time because they're in a great right. industry, um, it varies. Um, but so that's kind of what you're looking at there if you're buying classes on City as a School. Um, but, you know, if you can get us a conversation with um, some of the folks that you're in your state uh, or with any of the key industry players, um, then this means that it subsidizes the cost oh, of a yes. lot of the learning on the platform. So um, that's what we're doing with Ohio, um, just because they really have this huge problem of like yeah. millions of people moving to Ohio soon uh, and Columbus. Yeah. But like, if you think there's a similar situation we could set up in your in your state, your city, then we can make much more accessible. Yeah, no, I love it. And I, I, I knew you'd have, because you're, everything's, found, you know, really set in a philosophy. So I had a feeling that you'd have, you know, like the answer would not be just like, well, it's this much and that, but really that, you know, right now this is how much it costs, which is actually very accessible. Um, and, and to your point, if it's not accessible because every family is a different place with their finances, then there are other options that they can pursue to, to ensure that they get what they want. So Anyway, thank you so much. I appreciate. Oh, last thing, uh, where can they mm -hmm. find you? I think you mentioned City as a School. Should they just go to the website? Yes, um, you can either go to cityasaschool.com, um, or if you want to play with Arc and build a pathway to an industry, then um, you can go to arcarkcityasaschool.com. And I'm also available on Twitter as um, Serge Hunt, or one word, S E R J H U N T underscore Arc A R K. Um, that's me on Twitter and LinkedIn and YouTube. So best place awesome. to find me. Thank you so so much, Serge. Really appreciate your time. Awesome. Yeah, absolute pleasure. And we should definitely do this again, David. <laughs> Absolutely. We have to do one on AI. I think we'll just Absolutely. do one on AI. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks sure. again. Ciao. Thank you for listening to the Changemaker EDU podcast. Every guest and listener is a valued part of this co-creation. We're honored that you listen and we hope that this helped you. 
in some small or big way today. This is a community and a movement, and without you, it wouldn't be possible. If you want to learn more about me, go to davidkrichards.com. And as always, if you're so moved, please rate and review the podcast. And finally, our greatest compliment is when you share an episode with someone who you believe will benefit from the message. Sending you immense love and courage today. Thank you. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.